Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 23 Terror in the Darkness The music slowed, percussion muting and dying, leaving a deeper, darker sound to carry me to the consecrated lake where the sacred swans lazed. Here and there, Minute waves rippled in time to the deep, ever-repeating bass notes that drew me down to the surface of the water. Then I was stood on the water, my arms stretching up and out, my neck bending back as a clarinet sang an all-too-brief tale of love and grief. The swans were animate now, Splashing into the water, gliding towards me, twenty of them carved from ivory, twenty of them from blackest jet. When only a few feet from me, the creatures moved again, half to the left, half to the right, and revealed the figure of the swan, nameless. That wondrous aberration sat in the water before me, its body divided perfectly between blackness and whiteness, its unsettlingly pale amber eyes staring at me. Standing on the water before it, I felt fragile, alien, an invader in some other intelligence's environment. The music stopped. No clarinet, no oboe, no castanets, no bass. No sound whatsoever, not even the ripple of a wave or the buzz of an insect. As if all the world was holding its breath and waiting. Then, in an explosion of water, Nameless reared up, beating his terrible wings, hissing and spitting. I covered my face and threw myself to one side, only to sink floundering and choking on black weeds down into the water. I was filled with a panic that was so exquisite in its vastness and its blackness that I begged the gods to let me sink deeper into it, to be rent and ripped and reshaped joyously by the terror of my awful, long-crushing, wondrous dying. But the music returned then, a whirl of violins and wood instruments and castanets and tambourine that snatched me out from the water and raced me upwards through the sky again, over temple and palace, over parklands and stone city, over rivers and fields and tiny toy towns, over the marshes and the meadows, 
and up past the mountain roads and shrines and fluttering pennants, up to the cluster of houses clinging to the granite belly of the mountain, where two great grey glittering curtains of rain closed over the scene, and I cheered my applause, shaking my fists above my head and shouting, Encore! over and over. Yet even as I cheered, the scene shrank away from me. I drifted skyward, then spaceward, with only the ebb and flow of the melancholy base for company. Soon Enfeshka was nothing more than a blurry circle, like some precious glittering ornament embedded in the blackest floor of the deepest ocean. The vision of it blurred by the movement of great titanic currents that all too swiftly smothered it in black sediment. The music stopped, and I found myself inside the thin-shelled fragility of the bullet pod. For a brief moment, the beauty of the music and of the dream remained, sounding in the echoing chambers of my heart. In no gee I floated, blissful, my arms moving back and forth like fronds of seaweed seeking daylight, but all was darkness. And soon not a trace remained of the unique harmony of senses and emotions I had enjoyed. All I had seen and heard was now only a wonderful memory to reflect on with a sorrowful smile, knowing that with every act of willful recollection I would be removed ever further from an experience born from absolute surrender and acceptance. I drew my arms towards me, looked around in the darkness, and saw the little red and green lights off to my right. I reached down to the buckle of my belt, pushed the button, waited for the wire to pull me back to the console. Nothing happened. But I managed to remain calm. I need only push against the metal wall on my left, and I would float to the right, towards the console. Yet even as I stretched my arm out, I heard a faint clicking sound, as if someone was preparing to play castanets. Part of me was delighted, thrilled even, about the possibility of the music resuming. But another part of me, cold with panic, knew the music was gone, and no sound other than the inhalation and exhalation of my breath should be there in the darkness with me. Was it my imagination then? Or perhaps the noise came from the vessel itself? A clatter of computation, a resetting of life support systems. Then it was again. A brief, sharp rattle, like thin, hard stones clattering together. I began to shiver, my breath shallow. Staring into the blackness, I found the swaying red and green blips of the console. I need to move, get to the console, activate the lights, kill the terror trembling in my gut before it swallowed me.
I stretched out my arm, felt my hand connect with the inner hull, pushed. The little red light and little green light grew larger. And for a moment the panic receded. The chill clinging to me evaporated. In a few seconds I would be surrounded by white light and the good solid reality of plastic and metal. Yet as I drifted nearer to the console, the trembling began again in my belly. Not only were the two lights growing larger, they were moving closer to each other. And I knew, deep in the flesh and the sinew, and the gut and the fibre of me, I knew there was a terrible wrongness about those two lights. Closer they moved to each other, and closer moved I towards them, unable to change direction, utterly helpless as terror swelled within me. The lights blinked, off and on, simultaneous with the return of the hard, rattling noise. I saw then that the lights were not attached to the console. They shone out from the hard, pale bone of a skull. A skull that spoke, and a voice cracked and hissed the very first words Numa had whispered to me. Time to dance, Marcus. Something hard clamped around my right wrist. Something hard touched my waist. I screamed, my legs and arms flailing around me like a mortally wounded bird falling from the living sane sky. Louder I screamed as I kicked out with mad savagery, trying to break free from the skeleton's ever-tightening embrace. Then white light exploded around me, my eyes instinctively pressed shut. The skeleton released its grip. I opened my eyes to see I was alone with all the hull lights on, the console a few feet from me. Everything seemed normal, but the terror remained curled in my belly like some parasitic worm. Another voice spoke. You okay, Mr. Marcus? And I only just managed to stop myself screaming. The voice spoke again. This is Iftek, Mr. Marcus. I've been monitoring your trip. Are you okay? Your life signs went a bit haywire there. Iftek, I whispered. Help me. Thanks for listening to the latest chapter of Marcus Marcus and Hurting Heart. Be sure to tell all your friends, family and ancient enemies about the story. If you like it, rate it, review it, pass on the word and subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Player or your favourite podcast app. Drop me a line on Twitter at Havering Rab 
And if you want to know more about what I do, check out my website, fabfultonstories.weebly.com.